Welcome to EV, everybody. We are glad that you are here. No matter what has brought you here today, whether you've been watching us online for a while and then decided to stop in here to our campus, or maybe you're just passing through, because it is spring break still for a lot of, of people. Uh, maybe you heard that it's going to be an Easter egg hunt uh, during Bible class time for our littles, okay? Some of you uh, big people brought your baskets, but we do have an age limit. I'm sorry. Uh, but we are going to have that. Maybe that's what brought you here today. Or you came to see the squirrel that's in our Family Life Center. Yeah, I, it, there really is. There's a squirrel in our, in our Family Life Center uh, right now, apparently. And uh, wait till you see the video next week of those trying to catch the squirrel. And it's going to be a great Easter. Can't wait. It's going to be good. Hope that you are making plans to be with us. Hopefully you have also encouraged others to come and, and spend their morning with us. We're expecting a, a big crowd here on our campus, and we're excited about that. We've been praying about it. We um, ask that you be in prayer about that uh, as well, and we look forward to being able to get, uh, get together. And we'll update everybody on, on the squirrel. And maybe um, if the squirrel is still here as you are making your way uh, to our small group studies in a little bit. If you would like to participate in squirrel wrangling, maybe some of you are professional squirrel wranglers. I don't know. You might have the opportunity, um, and then maybe we'll show your picture next week uh, at Easter. You know, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been, we've been sharing some, some habits, some tangible practices Tangible practices that each of us, no matter what our age, can embrace that will allow us to better position ourselves to draw near to God, a God that, that walks everywhere incognito. That's the way C.S. Lewis spoke about the reality of God in our world. He wrote, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. He said the world is crowded with him. And he walks everywhere, incognito. God is ever-present, and we should seek, I believe, to be as present to God as God is to us. It's that connection, and it's that experience that we are longing for, and that should be of utmost importance, where I'm no longer content with just going through the motions, where it's not about attendance at some event similar to the one that you are a part of here this morning, but it's about participation in a true life experience. It's a craving for constant communion with God, where we cry out with the psalmist, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God. You see, we hope that the time that we spend together uh, whether it's, it's this weekend or next or, or, or no matter how it is that we get together as a church family, we, we pray and our purpose is that we want to make people thirsty. We want to make you thirsty for God. We, we, want, to make you, we want to make you desire to be in this closer relationship with our Lord. You see, as a church family, I want us to experience God's presence and God's peace and, and God's purpose like never before. So over the last few weeks, we've been offering some simple guides to help walk us through some spiritual practices. 
We want to be more intentional and engaging in practices that help to open our eyes and our hearts to God's presence. And so as you were coming in, hopefully you picked up one of our paper bulletins. And on the inside, there was an insert of a discipline that you can participate in this week. Or you can find these guides on our website. Go to eastbrainerchurch.org and click on the Easter tab that's there at the very top of the page. Scroll down into the spiritual practices. And look, if you missed the last couple of weeks and if you weren't able to participate in, in our uh, time of, of constant prayer or then also with the fasting that we talked about last week, look, you can engage in these practices at any time. And in fact, I hope that what you're able to do and what you begin to do is to, is to put these practices into your life so that they become part of just a daily and weekly rhythm. So during this study, we've encouraged one another to re-engage in God's words and, and to look at prayer as, as being a continual conversation. And if you were here last week, we approached a, the very personal subject of fasting, and I heard from some of you who commented that you didn't realize how much food was actually an idol in your life until this past week when you tried to do without it. And others of you requested and said, can you give us something else that will help draw us closer to God? Something besides fasting, right? Well, I'm glad you're here this morning for part two of a message that, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, the majority of, majority of Christians that I know would love to feel closer to God. We want to feel closer to God, but we're just unsure of exactly what it is that we can do. And in fact, I think churches are, are filled each Sunday with unfulfilled believers and seekers who, who want to be closer to God, but they're dying spiritually because there's distance between them and their creator. And so we all need a little help and need some instruction. And so that's what we're doing as we are walking this path toward, towards Easter. We're wanting to, to draw closer to God during this time, to, to use these weeks leading up to the celebration that we're going to have together to, to, to maybe impact, hopefully, the relationship that we have with our God. Maybe you've been going through this process of Lent and, and you've been having a, a stripping away that's gone on in your life and, and you've removed some things from your life and maybe you've added some others that have helped you refocus on, on God. It's that period of, of life, that season that we're in right now. And I think you're going to enjoy what we're going to talk about today a little more than you enjoyed last week as we spoke on, spoke about fasting. So do you know what image the writers of Scripture used more than any other to illustrate the concept of living intentionally with God? It's an image that's used frequently in both your Old and New Testaments. It is used to describe the early patriarchs of faith. Later on, the prophets would use it to paint a picture of righteousness. Jesus was the perfect demonstration of it, and Paul encouraged Christians to adopt it. So what do you think? How do the writers of Scripture most often describe living intentionally with God? I want you to look at somebody that's around you and just tell me your answer. Tell them what you think. Well, what, what is it? Go ahead. Apparently, you guys have no idea. I hear nobody talking. It's like, go ahead. Look at somebody around you and say, I think the writers of Scripture describe intentionality with God. How? I love that. Okay. This has nothing to do with the message. Here's what I love. Okay, here's what I love. I ask you to turn and talk to the person around you, and you actually turned and whispered it into their ear. You did. 
It's like we're on Jeopardy and it's a contest. You don't want somebody on the other side of the room to find out what it is that you think, uh, you know, the, the, the writers were up to. Okay, so we're going to try it this way now. Out loud, don't tell your neighbor. Apparently, tell me, okay? Tell me, what do you think? How do the writers of Scripture most often describe living intentionally with God? What do you think? Just say it out loud. That's right. All right, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to the beginning and see what we can find. Let me see if you're right, okay? You remember the creation narrative, right? How God dipped his brush into his creative well and, and painted a mosaic of life and beauty. The first to enjoy the creator's generous grace was a man and woman who experienced firsthand what it meant to live with God. They had the greenest of grass, and they enjoyed it. The bluest sky, they had the coolest of streams. There were birds, and, and there were fish, and there were, <laughs> there were squirrels. And they were free to share in a symbiotic relationship with everything that was around them. Eden was their perfect playground. There was nature, and, and there were animals, and there was humanity, and there was God. Don't forget that. There was God, and the man and the woman walked with them all. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how in the beginning we walked? We walked in the garden. We walked with the animals. We walked with one another, and, but don't miss this. We walked with God. We walked with God. And we're told that it was good. That is, until it wasn't. Genesis 3 and verse 8 records what is perhaps the saddest line in all of Scripture. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, humanity chose wanting to be like God over walking with God. And we've been making the same choice ever since. Wanting to be like him, we choose that over walking with him. But, it, but it's walking with God that, that was the original intent. And it's why we become hopeful when not too far along in the narrative, walking returns. There's this guy named Enoch, and we're told that he walked faithfully with God. And then you hear about Noah, and Noah walked with God, and a pattern begins to emerge. There's faithfulness, and there is this walking with God, and it appears to be the same thing. Later, the Hebrew prophet Micah asks the people of God to ponder what it is that the Lord requires of them. And he gives them a list to consider of some religious activities and options, but then he focuses in on something that is very personal and something that is very simple. He says, act justly, love mercy, and what? Walk humbly with your God. Later, the Apostle Paul expands on the theme. Follow God's example, he would write, therefore his dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. He would also write how that we all need to keep in step with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle John told Christians that because God is light, well, they should walk in light. He also wrote that we need to walk in obedience and that he has no greater joy than to hear that others are walking in the truth. 
The writers of Scripture present walking as the primary way of knowing God. It is their favorite descriptor. And so if today you went walking, that's how they talk about it, then man, you guys are awesome, and, and you, you, get to, you get to go see the squirrel a little bit, all right? We got a squirrel that you can go and see because you were right. We shouldn't be surprised then as we read through the gospel that God presented himself God presented himself as human, and once again, he walked with his creation. And nor should we be surprised to see Jesus walk up to men and women and say, come and follow me. Walking has always been a primary way of knowing and living with God, not just figuratively, but literally. And if this be the case, and more and more I really think it is, then I'm in trouble because I do not like to walk. Right? I, really, I really don't. I don't like to walk. I, I, prefer, I prefer to get from point A to point B by any other means. As a kid, I had a big wheel. How many of you guys had big wheels? Anybody else in the room? babe. I mean, why walk when you could get somewhere in style, right? You could ride that big wheel and pull that brake handle on the side and flip that back end around. Man, it was awesome. And then I moved on to the tricycle. And then I got the training wheels off. I had my bike. And, and then... It, then I had a 1984 long wheelbase Chevy S10 pickup truck. Man, why walk? My formative years were spent on ball fields where I quickly learned not to walk between the white lines. I mean, just going out for a nice walk in the park or, or going for a walk in the woods, it just really didn't interest me. It was all just too, it was just too slow. And there was no real point to it. I mean, there was no finish line, Right? And there was no way to keep score when you're just out walking. How do you know who wins? And so why walk? And my family has learned this about me through the years. And, and because of that, they normally go on walks without me. They do. But every once in a while, they forget and they invite me. And so a few years ago, during spring break, around this time of year, we went as a family to Lula Lake on top of Lookout Mountain. Anybody been to Anybody been to Lula? Okay, if you haven't been, there, there's this little hideaway that you are missing that's right up there on top of Lookout. You can, you can Google, you can find directions for it. You see, Tanya and I, uh, we had been inside all week. Well, I should say Tanya had been inside all week because, well, she had the flu over spring break. So she'd been cooped up in the house dealing with that and and she wanted to get out at the end of the week and enjoy some sunshine. And being the caring husband that I am, I reluctantly agreed. And I agreed because I thought that you could drive right up to the lake. Kind of like, like going to Lake Winnipesoka. I mean, you, you, you drive right up to it, right? I mean, this is what I thought, but I thought wrong. I didn't realize you had to hike to the lake. I didn't realize that there were multiple paths that you could take to hike to the lake. And so we're beginning this journey, and I'm thinking in my head, how am I going to survive this? And so I decided that the best thing to do was to get the walk over as quickly as possible. And so if we're going to walk to the lake, we're going to walk to the lake. I mean, let's walk. I mean, let, let's get on with it. Let, let's go. There's no need to consider other trails. And Tim, there's no need to stop and look at creation around you because we got to walk. Forget about the trees. Forget about the flowers. Forget about the squirrels. I mean, 
And I'm pretty sure that we made it in record time. I am. And I was pretty proud of myself. The rest of the family, not so much. But I was really, I was really proud of myself. And so we get there, and we hang around the lake for a while. We, we take some pictures. There was a waterfall. I mean, you know, it was, it was pretty. I mean, if you guys have never been, and you like that kind of thing, you know, you can, you can go there. But in the back of my mind, even while we're taking this picture, I'm like, man, when we're done with this, we got to walk back. We got to walk back to the car. And so as the sun began to fade, it was time for us to take our leave and and then someone mentioned that the, the park closed at sundown. Hmm. So you're telling me I got to get back to the car before the sun goes down. Is that what you're saying? Challenge accepted. I mean, now I had a goal. Now there was a purpose for our walk. I mean, we had, we had to beat the sun. And so we, we take this picture and it's like, all right, let's go. Come on, let's go. Now, did I mention that Tanya had been in bed all week with the flu? Did I? I told you that, right? Um, and so there may or may not have been times when we were walking back, all uphill, by the way, that she asked to stop and catch her breath. And there may or may not have been times when, with the sun fading in the distance, I could be heard shouting over my shoulder, suck it up, buttercup. You know, come on. We, we've got to go. Now, the main thing that you need to know is that we made it to the car before sunset. We did. We made it, and Tanya and I are still married. Those are the main things. Those are the main things that you need to know and, and, and carry away. That, and I have a great wife. I mean, I have a great wife. But I still don't like to walk. Which is strange, because we can't help but walk, Right? Just a few months after our birth, we begin to pull ourselves up off the floor and, and we start to put one foot in front of the other. Now, no one taught us how to walk. We just walked, right? It was a basic instinct that could not be resisted. Something about being made in the image of the God who, who walked in the garden in the cool of the day and who came to earth to, to, to walk again with us, laid hold of us, and, and all of a sudden then, we were up and moving. And in fact... A lack of walking is a sign that something could be wrong. Not just physically, but, but spiritually. You see, walking is the one physical discipline that the Bible consistently associates with a life of faith. Yet it's a discipline that we rarely associate with God. Because it's just too common, right? I mean, reading and praying and, and fasting, these all seem much more spiritual than, than walking, right? I mean, do you think that's how people felt when they first heard the prophet Micah say, look, here's what God wants. Here's what God wants. Do the right thing, love giving second chances, and go for walks with God. Walk with God. You say, wait a minute, Mr. Prophet, I get the first two, I understand, but the third, that just sounds a little too basic. It sounds just a little too ethereal. I don't walk with God? I mean, why not say worship God? Or, or, or why not put obey God? Why not just say put God first? Why, why walk? And it's a good question. 
Could it be that the writers of Scripture use the walking terminology so much because they want their readers to understand that life with God is not static? It's not static. It's not an event. It's not just a moment. It's not just some worship time. It's not just some kind of praise opportunity. There is more to life with God because it's a, a dynamic movement. So as you go, go with God. As you walk. And, and understand, this is something that all the original readers of Scripture really understood. As you walk from point A to point B, as you go and plant crops, as, as you walk and, and go to draw water, as you walk to the market, as you walk to visit friends, as you walk to synagogue, as you walk to temple, as you walk beside the lake, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These original readers, they understood this. That every time an individual laced up their sandals and headed out the door, they were reminded that walking with God was to be the center of their life. Each step was a reminder about the relationship the Creator wanted to share with them. Friends, perhaps we struggle spiritually today because we no longer walk. We hop in our car and we speed away to our next appointment only, what, to sit in a meeting or to sit behind a desk. Or some of us wake up and, and then we just slide over to the other side of the bed and log in to our computer. We no longer take the time to intentionally engage in a physical discipline that speaks to our spiritual condition. And so this week, I want to call us all back to what we did in the beginning. I want us to go for a walk with God. I mean, literally. literally. I really want you, and, and I'm talking to myself also, right? I want us to get out and walk with God because there's some immediate blessings that we will begin to enjoy. First, walking with God will slow you down, okay? Walking with God will slow you down. The average walking pace is three miles per hour, average walking. Author Mark Buchanan calls this God's speed, the speed that God moves, and perhaps it's the speed of our souls as well. Have you ever gone walking, and maybe you've been on a sidewalk, and you've been on a sidewalk beside a busy road, and the cars are speeding by you at about, what, 55 to 70 miles per hour? I mean, it's just, you can feel the air, and you can feel the warmth off the vehicle as it comes flying by. But when you're in the car, you don't feel that speed, right? I mean, when you're riding the car, you don't realize how fast you're going. But walk on the side of the road, and as the cars pass you, you begin to comprehend the rate at which you are able to move from one thing to another. And friends, you spend a day walking with God, and you begin to see just how fast your mind and your body and your soul have been moving. Go for a walk with God this week and hear him say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Slow down. Go for a walk. Even if you don't make it back to the car by sundown, they'll open the gate for you, I think. Second, walking with God opens our eyes to the world around us. Opens our eyes to the world around us. 
Not only will walking help us understand our own condition, but we begin to notice the condition of everything that's around us. Psalm 89, 11 declares of God, the heavens are yours. The earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. And we're told in the creation narrative that the Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and to what? To watch over it. To watch over it. God's creation was put into humanity's hands for safekeeping. Did you realize that? Did you know that's how it was in, in the beginning? How long since you took a walk and considered your responsibility to God's creation? And to the, the symbiotic relationship that, that you were intended to enjoy with, with all those trees that, that Tim talked about and all those species of plants and, and all the wildlife that's there. And how long since you took a walk and considered your responsibility to, to all the other walkers that are out there? You know what? It's come to me recently that, that we live in a disposable culture. We've become accustomed to replacing anything that we have via just a few quick searches of Amazon. And today we can go on dates via apps and, and we have learned that we can always swipe to a new relationship and while all this might be convenient, and while we might really enjoy all of these things that we now are able to, to have and do quickly, an unintended consequence is that we have been conditioned to treat people like things. We are living as if people are disposable. It's one of the reasons for the lack of empathy and compassion toward that person or that group who are just different from us. It's one of the reasons for the vitriol we see in the public square and online. It's one of the reasons we witness horrifying events like the one that took place this past Monday at a Nashville elementary school. And, and so, I know we're not walking right now. I know we're just sitting, but, but, but can we just for a moment, can, can we begin maybe what could be a constant prayer here? And having those who are walking around us in mind and the world that we live in in mind. Where we realize that the people around us, the creation around us is not disposable. Let's begin that prayer now. Father, help us to, help us to slow down. And help us to see our lives and the lives around us through a different lens. Help us to, help us to actually notice the color of the grass, the color of the sky. Help us to take in all the different smells of the flowers. Help us to get joy from watching the animals that are around us. Father, help us to, help us to, understand that that we were all created in the same time that we were all created by the same God that we were meant to do life together not just the nature that's around us but also all the humanity around us Father we live in a time where people seem no longer to care about one another we don't care about people's feelings we we don't care about people's needs. It seems that more and more individuals don't even care about others' lives. 
And so we shout others down and we criticize and we ridicule and we bully and we make fun of. And Father, we lash out. Father, there are people all over the world who are hurting, but God, we know that in Nashville there is a special pain that only a few have experienced. A special pain of losing a child, losing a spouse, losing friends and co-workers in such a violent, needless way. And so our, our hearts go out and we pray for, for your comfort and we, pay, we pray for your healing for all of those who were impacted. Not just those who not just those who have families that they had the loss of life, but, but Father, those who were associated with all those who were impacted, with friends and, and family members, with fellow students, with coworkers. Father, your comfort and your peace and your healing, we ask for all of Nashville. Father, for, for the families who are, who are burying loved ones, we, we weep with them as they try to understand. And Father, for the, for the families who, and friends who are associated with the one who, who, took, who took this life needlessly, we ask for your comfort and your healing for them as well. Father, we don't know what to do. But maybe we can begin to understand the answer just by going for a walk. And walking again with you. And seeing what's around us. So open our eyes. Open our eyes and our hearts. So that we may take more seriously our role here among your creation. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and begin this thought. Amen. Jesus walked through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. He walked through all the towns and villages preaching the good news of the kingdom. He walked through all the towns and villages healing every disease and sickness. And Matthew says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, walking with God slows us down. Walking with God helps to open our eyes to the world around us. And walking with God will teach us to travel light. You can't take a lot with you when you walk. If you try, whether because of your own overconfidence or your own lack of understanding, you will soon have to discard all of the extra baggage. You know, Jesus once told a group of people who had walked out to hear him teach not to worry about their life. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or, or what it is that you're going to wear. And I know that that all sounds crazy to us today, but just think how it probably sounded to them. And so he gave them something to look for on their walk back into town. He said, look at the birds and look at the flowers. Consider how God takes care of them. And then ask yourself, if God cares for the birds and if God cares for the flowers like this, what will he do for me? You see, each person who heard Jesus that day walked home a little lighter as they stopped to, to watch the birds as they flew through the air and as they stopped to pick some wildflowers along the side of the road. And the same can happen for you this week. 
when you go on a walk with God. Take in the freedom and the beauty of the things that are around you and then cast aside your anxious thoughts about how and when and and why. Friends, we in the beginning walked. We walked. We walked in the garden. We walked with animals. We walked with one another. And we walked with God. And we were told that it was good until it wasn't. And after that, all heaven implored us once again, walk with God, walk with God, walk with God. And we did, for an occasion, for a season. There was a person here, and and there was a group over there, but it wasn't like what we shared in the beginning. There was something wrong, or, or maybe I should say there was something missing. It was a relationship. The oneness that exemplified those early walks was gone and there was nothing that we could do about it. So God took it upon himself. You see, I think he enjoyed those walks in the beginning even more than we did. And so carrying his cross, he walked out to the place of the skull and there they crucified him. God took that walk for us so that he could walk with us. Walk with God. Why don't you start it this morning? Maybe you need to walk here to the front, declaring your faith in Jesus Christ, saying you'd love to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, and then leave here walking with God. What is your need? Let it be known as together we stand and give God praise.